And thank you for joining us for our third episode of the Fire Strong podcast. Fire Strong is an official podcast of the Fire Center of Excellence and Fort Sills Public Affairs Office. I'm your host, Don Herrick. And I'm Keith Pinnell. And today in the studio, we have our guest, Brigadier General John Rafferty, the director of the Long Range Precision Fires Cross-Functional Team. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Don. Glad to, uh, glad to be here. Great opportunity to communicate with, uh, with, uh, with our big uh, community of supporters. So we really appreciate uh, you coming out today. And we always like starting off these podcasts by asking a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, so I'm John Rafferty. I'm uh, currently the director of the LRPF cross-functional team. Uh, I've been the director for about the last uh, three and a half years. Uh, and uh, it's kind of been a uh, been a blur, uh, but it's been a fantastic opportunity to uh, to live here in the Lawton Fort Sill community, which uh, Tracy and I have really uh, really grown to appreciate. Uh, I started here at uh, Fort Sill for Officer Basic Course One ninety three, and really didn't come back until we got stationed here three and a half years ago. So uh, so for us, it's been. Uh, a great opportunity to, you know, to learn a little bit about this uh, this part of the world, uh, and uh, and certainly appreciate uh, a very strong Army community here at, uh, at Fort Sill and great partnership with uh, with the local community in in Lawton. Um, I um, I enlisted in the Army in in the late '80s and served a couple years as a mortarman uh, in uh, in the old Eighth Infantry Division in uh, in Germany, uh, and then uh, and then got out and. Uh, was in the National Guard and used the GI Bill to go to community college, and then uh, and then graduated from Longwood University in the ROTC program, which was an extension of the University of Richmond. And both Longwood University and the University of Richmond uh, both made uh, March Madness this year. So uh, so it's very exciting for me to and hard to concentrate on anything at all this week except for uh, except for filling out my bracket. But I think I'll manage to get some other work done too. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, and over the last you know. Better part of uh, of thirty years have had a great um, uh, a great career that uh, has uh, you know taken us all over you know I think primarily my uh, you know operational uh, field artillery experience has been in, uh, in airborne and and, uh, and ranger units uh, and I've had the opportunity to serve overseas in, in Germany on a couple occasions a few exchange positions with uh, with the Marine Corps to attend their captain's course called the Amphibious Warfare School and then attend the uh, the UK uh, Joint uh, Command and Staff College. Uh, and um, and then a couple of uh, short assignments in Washington D.C. and Army Legislative Affairs, and then the XO for the Director of the Army Staff. Uh, and so when I uh, when I came here for this uh, for this position as the Director of the Cross Functional Team, um, I uh, actually didn't feel unprepared, uh, even though uh, I didn't know anything about engineering, uh, I didn't know anything about uh, about science and technology. I uh, didn't know anything about Army acquisition, uh, but what I do know about is uh, is field artillery and fire support operations, uh, requirements from the field, and, and war fighting. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do here in the cross-functional team is is um, is meet the needs of the warfighter in the field uh, and uh, develop uh, requirements and hold people accountable as we work on developing those uh, systems and capabilities for uh, soldiers and uh, leaders uh, in the field. Sir, you mentioned it now a couple of times, cross-functional team. And I, I think a large part of the force uh, 
doesn't exactly know, they don't exactly know what a cross-functional team is. So in a nutshell, can you explain the whys and wherefores and what's a cross-functional team? And specifically, uh, as it relates, what is LRPF? Yeah, so I'll start with the, that's a great question, Keith. I'll start with the with the cross-functional team part. If we go back in time about four years to the beginning of the cross-functional teams, uh, the Army was developing a new operational concept called multi-domain operations uh, that was based on the threat. Uh, and our adversaries in China and Russia have been investing in various systems that counter some of our advantages. They've watched us fight and watched us operate over the last 20 years uh, in, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and they were investing in areas that counter some of our distinct advantages. Uh, and, then, uh, and then if you looked at uh, the Army system for, uh, for modernizing, there was nobody that was really in charge of it. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't raise your hand. It's, you know, the, the, the Army senior leaders couldn't ask, you know, who's in charge of modernization, raise your hand. Uh, and you'd get a, you know, TRADOC would have a portion of it. Uh, the Army acquisition side would have a part of it. Uh, and, but nobody, no one single commander in charge of it. And, and in a nutshell, that, that was the, um, that was the, you know, light bulb moment for Army Futures Command. Let's put a commander, let's let's follow our own warfighting doctrine, have unity of command. Uh, and uh, let's put a commander in charge of uh, modernization because we know that we, as, as the chief says, we have, you know, one chance in a generation to modernize. We can't screw this up. So put a commander in charge of it. Now, if you if you take that down to the to the uh, to the modernization efforts, uh, as the chief staff of the Army designated the modernization priorities, uh, you need to put somebody in in charge of each of the uh, each of the modernization priorities, uh, and cross-functional teams are, are really a best pra- practice taken from industry, and in which um, you have a, a cross-functional team that's focused on priorities of the senior leaders, uh, that has um, the resources uh, and the access uh, to the senior leaders to maintain momentum, to maintain emphasis, uh, and to get results. Uh, what the C and cross-functional team, or CFT, the C is not for command, uh, as I like to say, and it's not for checkbook. So my job is to be responsible for this stuff, uh, and uh, but I don't have all the authority. Um, so uh, so we just got to work hard as a big team. We're unified by the purpose, supported by the, by the uh, emphasis placed on it by the Army senior leaders. Uh, by the resources that they've put behind it, uh, and and our job is just to is to get things done to work as a, a big team. My experience as an artilleryman, especially as a fire supporter, means that I'm comfortable with multiple bosses, uh, and I'm comfortable uh, often as an informal uh, leader, uh, getting people uh, unified by purpose and, uh, and and getting results. So that's so the cross-functional team has about 25 people here at Fort Sill, uh, but our but our teammates. Uh, and the people really getting the job done are our uh, teammates from uh, Combat Capabilities Development Command called DEVCOM. So DEVCOM and the Armament Center at Picatinny Arsenal, the Aviation Missile Center at, uh, at Redstone Arsenal, uh, and the uh, Ground Vehicle System Center in Detroit Arsenal are our primary uh, you know, Army engineering partners. Our, our, we have acquisition partners uh, from uh, from. Program Executive Office, uh, PEO uh, Missiles in Space uh, at Redstone, uh, PEO Ammunition at uh, at Picatinny, and, and PEO or I'm sorry, PM Self-Propelled Howitzers at uh, at Detroit. Uh, so those are um, kind of our primary uh, 
um, you know, heavy hitting partners. We got a lot here at Fort Sill too, from the doctrine department, from the uh, from the CDID, the Capabilities Development Integration uh, uh, Director, um, our um, uh, the field artillery commandant uh, and his team are uh, are very big uh, are very big partners uh, in this, and then uh, and then we have a whole bunch of industry partners that we work with that uh, that really I'd like to take it one step further and say that they're industry teammates, uh, and as you can tell, not every single organization that that we pull together uh, has our interests are not exactly the same. Uh, but our job is to keep them aligned uh, in the uh, in the same direction to get the uh, to get the outcomes we want. Focused on delivering uh, capability to the uh, to the hands of soldiers. So that's kind of how the cross-functional team works. It's just to um, keep people focused on the objectives, hold people accountable uh, for uh, for delivery, uh, and uh, and to get results. To be responsible for this stuff. Uh, the um, What's LRPF? So LRPF is Long Range Precision Fires. Uh, that's the Army's number one uh, modernization priority, uh, and uh, and it covers a lot of things. It's uh, it's not just bullets that go farther. It's also the it's also the the howitzer that uh, that that um, uh, that serves as the platform for firing. Uh, it's uh, it's long range missiles, uh, and uh, but it's also working on deep sensing. Uh, and targeting at, at ranges that we haven't ever before. It's fire mission processing at speeds that we can't do it now to meet the demands of large-scale combat in the uh, in the future. Uh, so it's really kind of an end-to-end um, uh, mission. Uh, the LRPF may sound like it's just it's just bullets or missiles, but it's uh, but it's not. It's as much about finding the targets uh, and processing the missions as quickly as we can in order to get those munitions on target uh, in a timely fashion. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Well, that's exciting. I mean, working with team members all across the country for that for that one purpose. So as a retired field artillery guy, I'm always excited to hear about the new developments that we have uh, from the field artillery. So can you, can you tell me some of the highlights you've accomplished in the LRPF, sir? Yeah, so uh, so we've got a couple of what we call refer to as signature systems, uh, but uh, but I'll start with um, with self-propelled howitzer uh, modernization that we're doing. Uh, right now, the Army is uh, you know our primarily fielded uh, self-propelled howitzer is the M109A6 Paladin, one five five millimeter self-propelled howitzer. Uh, that was introduced to the Army when I was a student here at, uh, in, in Officer Basic Corps 1-93. I just remember the first battalion being delivered uh, to, a, um, uh, to a unit here at, uh, at Fort Sill and it being a big deal for the Army. Uh, and, and right now we're going through a, an overdue uh, upgrade to those howitzers to take it from the A6 mm-hmm. to the A7. Uh, and the A7 is fundamentally a uh, waist-down upgrade. So it's a chassis upgrade that addresses automotive performance issues, survivability, and, and mobility. Uh, so it's, it's, it's absolutely essential uh, to, keep our, um, uh, to keep our fielded force uh, with the same uh, maneuverability and survivability as the unit their, units they're supporting, uh, and to get a degree of commonality across chassis, improve readiness and, and, uh, and, um, uh, and availability uh, for, the, uh, for the fielded force. But it doesn't do anything to get us more range or lethality. Uh, so that's uh, that's where the extended range cannon artillery system comes into play. 
Urca. Uh, we're going to work on a longer term name uh, for that system. Uh, that's uh, for your stocks. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a lot of things that uh, in our in our portfolio that are classified, but the uh, future name of that system is among the most closely guarded secrets. <laughs> As it should uh, in, be. Yes. So uh, so that'll come out at a uh, at a at a later date. Uh, but the, uh, the, the Urca system is just that. It's, uh, it's the howitzer upgrade, it's the supercharged propellant, uh, it's, the, um, it's the long range projectiles and it's course correcting fuses uh, to get accuracy uh, and lethality at ranges out to 70 kilometers. So really going from about 30, 35 kilometers out to 70 kilometers. Wow. So really almost doubling the, uh, the, the effective range of our self-propelled howitzer fleet. Uh, and I'll tell you how we're doing it. So, so the um, talking about the upgrade to the self-propelled howitzer, we're we're modifying the cab. So the the current cab that's on there is basically be, is basically being um, uh, modified to accommodate an upgraded armament system. Armament system is uh, is everything from the recoil uh, to the uh, to the to the end of the uh, to the end of the cannon. Um, so this, um, this upgraded armament system has a sliding block breach. Uh, so going away from what we have now is the interrupted screw breach that, uh, that, we, that we close and then it, and it turns to seal. Uh, we put a small primer in the back of it to, uh, to begin the explosive train. Uh, the new sliding block breach is a lot more like a tank breach. Uh, it, uh, it, it slides from the bottom to the top, uh, provides the seal, and then it can be fired electronically. Uh, using a uh, what we call a stub case on the inside. The uh, uh, the rest of the uh, the gun tube is uh, it's going from a 39 caliber length gun tube to a 58 caliber length mm. gun tube. So uh, so caliber length for uh, uh, for the artillerymen listening is uh, as you know caliber uh, length is a uh, is an expression of or I'm sorry caliber length is expressed in multiples of bore diameter. So 155 millimeter is about six inches. Uh, six times 39 is about 20 feet. Uh, six times 58 is about 30 feet. Uh, so 58 caliber gun tube is about 10 feet longer than our, than our, uh, than our currently fielded uh, uh, gun tube. Uh, and when you, uh, we're also getting rid of the bore evacuator, which, uh, which has, uh, has served us very well, but uh, has become uh, with the uh, current max propellant has become something that's difficult to clean uh, and difficult to uh, to keep uh, keep serviceable. So uh, so we're getting rid of the bore evacuator. We're using something that's called a, uh, a scavenger, which uh, which pushes the uh, pushes the toxic fumes out the front end of the uh, the gun tube. Uh, and um, this, uh, like I said, upgraded armament system uh, coupled with supercharged propellant. Supercharged propellant will get us uh, muzzle velocities in excess of a thousand meters per second uh, with um, with uh, the rocket assisted projectile uh, gets us uh, 70 kilometers. Now, also for the artillerymen out there, we know that probable errors in range at, at 70 kilometers are in the hundreds of meters. Right. So so we have to have a course correcting fuse to, uh, to have accuracy. Uh, and so we're upgrading the currently fielded uh, precision guidance kit. Uh, with a with a different model, different uh, different industry partner to get us the uh, the accuracy at at, uh, at range. Uh, so that's one one component of this, uh, which is a high explosive rocket assisted projectile. Uh, we've also taken uh, what essentially is currently fielded Excalibur uh, with a uh, with a software change uh, and very um, deliberate engineering path 
have uh, we've been able to push that to uh, to 70 kilometers as well. We had a 70 kilometer target hit uh, with uh, with Excalibur um, a little over a year ago, uh, and uh, and so we're confident that that'll be one of the projectiles out there at uh, 70 kilometers. And then uh, and then so that's back up for a second to say that our our approach to IRCA as a system uh, in, a, in accordance with the, you know, the guidance from the senior leaders is improve the range and lethality, right? Let's maintain overmatch with range and lethality, and then let's work on the rate of fire. Uh, but range and that lethality primarily there. So, so with the, um, with that, um, rocket assist projectile and with Excalibur, uh, we've got, uh, we've got the range, uh, with accuracy. Now to, to get the lethality that we need against uh, heavy armored uh, vehicles and and uh, and, and uh, artillery under armor is um, is with the the replacement to DPICM. Uh, one of the components of uh, DPICM replacement is called uh, cannon delivered area effects munition uh, armor, uh, and, um, and and we're going with a uh, with a hit to kill uh, projectile uh, that's based on the, the current Excalibur. That will be target seeking at um, at ranges with the shape charge. So we'll get the get the tank killing, the self propelled howitzer killing uh, effects that we need at, uh, at at those extended ranges. So what does this do? Right, this fills a gap. Um, when we start our development uh, uh, process, um, we ask ourselves one question: Should we do it? Uh, and uh, in this case, the should is absolutely our um, our uh, the threat is pacing, and uh, and and enemy investments in long-range cannon artillery and long-range uh, uh, rocket missile artillery uh, demands that we have got to um, we've got to maintain our ability to conduct combined arms maneuver, and that's what uh, IRCA will uh, will allow. Uh, and then the second is: does our operational analysis show us that this is an important investment? And uh, and it absolutely does. In all our, our most challenging warfighting scenarios, when we introduce IRCA as a general support. Uh, division level uh, artillery battalion that that gives the division commander the ability to shape the brigade combat team close fight by killing uh, um, uh, uh, enemy long range artillery uh, and maneuver forces. Uh, it's when we start to win in our in our most challenging uh, uh, scenarios. So so the should we do it is the answer is absolutely yes, uh, and. Um, and we feel uh, feel very good about it. The, uh, we're going to deliver a battalion set of this to uh, to a unit in First Armored Division. We were just there last week, uh, setting conditions with them. Uh, and uh, what we you know intend to deliver them is the for a year long operational assessment. We're going to deliver this stuff in the fourth quarter of, of fiscal year twenty three. So really, we'll start next summer. So about fifteen months from now, uh, we'll, we we um, we'll have daft, draft operational doctrine. We'll have draft sustainment doctrine because uh, we know this is uh, this is going to be a, an additive capability in the division. It's going to require a lot of logistics. Uh, so, uh, so how are we going to fight this thing from a logistics standpoint uh, is equally as important. Uh, and um, we're going to deliver the uh, we've developed the firing tables that they're going to need to take them from section all the way up to battalion level uh, qualifications. Houser section crew drill uh, for a uh, for a different system and different projectiles uh, for. Um, uh, the uh, the maintenance tasks that are going to need to be uh, accomplished by by individual and, and collective um, uh, teams uh, and 
and a few other items that, uh, that really make up a training packet. Uh, so we know a division starts planning, you know, more than a year out. Uh, so it was important for us to get there last week with, uh, with as much of this information as we can so they can begin to develop this, uh, this training plan. So we can assess uh, the operational concept, the sustainment concept, and then really stress the equipment, uh, the, the howitzer, the projectiles, the propellant in a, in a relevant environment. And there's no more relevant environment than, a, than First Armored Division at uh, Fort Bliss and McGregor Range and White Sands Missile Range. Uh, so we'll get uh, get good feedback for that year. Uh, so that's the uh, that's the IRCA uh, system. I'll just uh, take uh, one step up and talk about the Precision Strike Missile. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our replacement to the Army Tactical Missile System. Uh, ATACM was developed in the 80s. Uh, it's um, one missile per launch pod container. That means one on board a HIMARS or two on board an MLRS. Uh, and um, uh, and it's... Uh, it, it costs about a million dollars a missile. Uh, the, um, in order to keep those missiles uh, in service, we do something called uh, service life extension programs. And the service life extension program costs about the same as it does to make one. They take the <laughs> missile apart, they put yeah. it back together, and you get another 10 years of service out of it. Uh, so, um, so, so sometimes we've paid for those missiles two or even three times. Uh, the Precision Strike Missile uh, has a, uh, a range beyond 500 kilometers. Uh, it has the, uh, the same lethality as ATACMS. Uh, it um, fits two missiles per launch pod container, so that'll be four on an MLRS or two on a HIMARS, uh, and it costs about the same. Uh, so um, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's really a no-brainer for us. Uh, the best part about it is, is it, um, it's really exceeded our expectations along in, in development. Um, we've got uh, a great government and industry team working on this uh, aviation missile center along with our uh, industry teammates. And uh, we're going to deliver the first, uh, you know, the first uh, set of missiles through an urgent material release uh, next year. Uh, and there's no, no real obstacles to that. Uh, we've had very successful tests. Uh, and, um, and, and because of that, we're already working on integrating the, uh, uh, taking our science and technology uh, investments uh, on integrating a, a seeker. Uh, so it'll go to being target seeking from coordinate seeking. Uh, and so we had a, a successful uh, seeker test just a couple months ago out at White Sands uh, with that seeker integrated into a surrogate missile. Uh, we've got a few more test events for that before we start to integrate that into the PRISM, Prism missile. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we've already had a, somewhat of a breakthrough in, uh, in range extension uh, using a different propulsion technology. That's, that's, got a, that's got a couple years to go before it's ready. Uh, but, uh, but we know that we can take this, uh, uh, this precision strike missile much, much farther than, it, than 500 kilometers. And, uh, and then that's where we're convinced back to this, you know, should we do it? Um, we know what our adversaries have, have invested in, in, in long range missile fires. Uh, and, and we know that, uh, that the best way to create a dilemma for them is uh, is when the precision strike missile, both in its initial capability and then its extended range capability, uh, when we can have that distributed across all of our launchers. Mm -hmm. We have hundreds of HIMARS and MLRS launchers in the Army fleet. That creates a dilemma. When they don't know which launchers are loaded up with short range rockets or which ones are loaded up with mm -hmm. PRISM or which ones are loaded up with extended range PRISM, it puts so many of their, uh, of their target sets at, at risk uh, that that's the, that's the dilemma. For large-scale combat, that's what the Army has to have, is things that can scale across our entire fleet. Uh, and while, um, you know, onesies and twosies of purpose-built uh, systems to, to 
to, uh, to get at a, a niche capability are important for competition. Uh, for real large-scale warfighting, we need the stuff that, uh, that, that, uh, that can be in any of our launchers yeah. uh, across, uh, across our entire formation. So those are our real uh, signature systems in the uh, long-range precision fires uh, cross-functional team that are going to be in the Army next year. Well, that's exciting. Wow. Good, good. Uh, real quick, it's not just flying objects. Uh, one of the most fascinating, perhaps, uh, paradigm-shifting programs we're working on is bringing cloud computing to field artillery. That was You're a question, right. sorry. I didn't, You're right. I didn't phrase it. That's a question. Uh, so we're, we're enhancing our programs, our targeting programs. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? So there's a whole range of efforts underway. A couple that we're leading, a couple that we're, we're teammates and, and, and supporting uh, that have to do with, uh, with sensor to shooter uh, and increasing uh, our responsiveness um, from, uh, from deep sensing uh, all the way to, uh, all the way to, um, uh, to firing howitzers or, uh, or rocket missile launchers. The uh, and and so uh, you're right. One of the most uh, exciting parts is uh, is taking advantage of uh, of cloud-based com computing. Uh, in some ways, it it's, requires a little bit of a leap of faith, right? Uh, because um, uh, because we have to believe that the army is gonna deliver cloud to the edge. Uh, and uh, I'm aware of the uh, of the efforts that uh, the network cross-functional team is leading uh, with that, and uh, and so we can't wait on them to have that perfectly figured out yet. We got to figure out how we're going to fight with the cloud now, so that we're ready when that's uh, when that's there. Uh, and and one of the um, going back maybe more than two years now, uh, I was in a, a participant in a fairly um, you know, high, high, uh, high level, uh, army, um, board on, uh, command and control systems. Yeah. And one of the more senior folks in the, uh, in this, uh, in this board, uh, sent me a message on Microsoft teams as we were having this meeting. I think it was sort of at the beginning of COVID <laughs> and, uh, and you know, uh, as you're all learning how to use Microsoft Teams at the time. And, and the question was, hey, John, what do you think about AFATADS as a tactical cloud pilot? And I thought, that's really exciting. I don't know why I love it yet, um, but, but I should. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll get back to you. Uh, and so I called uh, one of my more, you know, uh, savvy uh, teammates, uh, somebody I'd known for, for a long, long time and said, Rob, um, I, I basically asked him the same question because, uh, what do you think about the, as a tactical cloud pilot? And he said, John, what do you mean? Do you mean, do you mean cloud as a noun or a verb? <laughs> right. So it showed how little I understood, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the environment had to, had a lot to learn, but, but I sat down with our, um, our folks who, uh, in army futures command who do, uh, systems architecture, uh, and had them really lay out. Uh, what our really fire support system and, and, and uh, fire control system uh, architecture diagrams look like. And uh, it started to see what I guess I always sort of realized was we, we have a lot of vulnerabilities in our, in our system. 
AFATADS now and AFATADS as it's modernized to 7.0 uh, is, uh, is an amazing capability for our Army. Uh, we've come a long way on, on AFATADS. I remember when it was introduced to the Army and, and, uh, and, and was, um, it was a real challenge to, to make the transition to, uh, to AFATADS. But 7.0 is going to be uh, is going to be far more intuitive and, and uh, a great step forward for what already is a, is an amazing capability. But uh, even though we set uh, uh, controls in in our AFATADS at uh, at various echelons, uh, so that it can um, uh, the mission can stop there to be processed, or it can just flow right through to the next uh, to the next stop, um, and and so. There don't need to be intervention points at every at every stop, but the point is, is that mission still has to flow from one to the other to the other to the other to get down to the platoon FDC, uh, and uh, and th and that really does provides that that there are some vulnerabilities associated with that, especially when we're talking about the future of a degrade or denied environment, uh, so jamming. Um, large-scale combat and so uh, high likelihood that uh, fire direction centers could be affected by uh, by counterfire but one could be moving survivability move and so and so you're not necessarily going to have this this ease of uh, of missions flowing through and so if we're able to uh, take advantage of, of cloud in certain instances uh, then then we can bypass some of that hierarchy uh, and get more of a burst type of transmission doesn't mean people still still don't, and, and organizations still don't do their jobs, but we're getting closer to this idea of, uh, which is central to future warfighting of of uh, any sensor best shooter, yeah. uh, and not um, and, and not held hostage by a, a hierarchy that 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 um, that missions have to flow through. So so the so the cloud is one way in order to address some of those. What we found going into it with really that that uh, that narrow of a of a focus. Um, because if we're going to do this, we want to make sure it increases our, our uh, you know, it improves our, our uh, combat capability. Uh, but then there are also all sorts of other advantages with cloud uh, that really go across the five requirements. Um, better access to meteorological information. Um, uh, ease of changing org for combat. Uh, when we do high-level um, high simulation exercises, we very routinely will take an artillery battalion and say, hey, you are no longer DS to 2nd Brigade Division X. You're now reinforcing uh, artillery battalion X uh, for Brigade Y. And, uh, and, and we make those changes very seamlessly in, in our higher level uh, uh, simulation exercises. But we know in practice that's a very challenging um, uh, process in our, um, in our fire control systems. Uh, that um, that require you know really savvy operators to be able to do that pretty quickly. If you can, uh, if that, if those, if if the information that's needed uh, is available in the cloud, that can happen much more quickly. Uh, and uh, and we found some of that. What we found is that we were pushing on an open door with uh, with the field uh, and cloud uh, experimentation uh, has taken off like wildfire in our. <laughs> We can't keep up with the field. Yeah. They're way ahead of us already. We thought we were being pretty clever here on the third floor of building 475 and in, uh, in developing a strategy here, and we engaged the field on it. Um, it was, okay, yeah, let's try that next week. And then, and then all of a sudden, um, there must be five or six divisions that are, that are already doing it in two cores. 
uh, and and now we've got it uh, got forward in in, uh, in theaters, and so it's it's exploding, uh, and so we're um, uh, they're going to tell us how to exploit this. Uh, so I feel very uh, very exciting. Uh, I th- you're right that the that the use of cloud uh, computing is uh, is really very exciting. It sounds like a very exciting time to be in the field. So what would you tell a soldier in field artillery about modernization and pursuing a career? with Army Futures Command and LRPF? Well, the best way to, uh, uh, to support Army Futures Command is, uh, is be open to, uh, to experimentation and, 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 like I said, believe in the future. Uh, and, uh, and, and we can't wait. Uh, we can't be sequential about this. We can't wait for the Urca howitzer to be built before we start making projectiles, as an example. We got to do these things concurrently. Um, we can't wait um, to develop uh, projectiles that uh, that attack targets at 70 kilometers until we have our, you know, targeting and deep sensing perfect for 70 kilometers. Because we can't. We got to believe that uh, that uh, that space-based um, uh, proliferation of uh, of space-based uh, capability is going to help us find targets uh, mm-hmm. deeper than we can right now. Uh, that data centricity. So data available to us um, is uh, is the key to us finding targets not you know platoon leader directly tasking a satellite we just need the data uh, and uh, and we can go find the targets in that uh, in that data um, we can't uh, we can't wait on that data being available to start working on the tools that are going to help us exploit the data and I'll give you an example there of, uh, of something we're doing with the uh, with the Intel community um, which is, which is, um, which is one of the most remarkable uh, changes that I've seen in my time in Army Futures Command is the is the partnership between the field artillery and fire support community and the uh, and the intelligence community uh, to 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 target, not necessarily limited to intel support to targeting. The intel community is talking about targeting let's find targets for the artillery units to attack uh and that's um that's that's uh that's a that's a pretty dramatic change in in uh in terminology and it's not limited it's not just words it's backed up by actions so the intel community is developing something called titan titan is a ground station that'll be uh when scaled properly it'll be anywhere from brigade up to core or even theater level uh headquarters this ground station uh will um will ingest data from space-based uh, altitude, high altitude sensors uh, and terrestrial sensors. So uh, um, uh, ground-based sensors uh, that include radars, but but not limited to that. Other sensors that are being developed by the, uh, the Army. So it'll be this big data repository. Uh, it's driven by collection priorities uh, and uh, collection priorities usually match up with targeting priorities, right? That's the whole point of that kind of, that kind of fusion. And, uh, and, and we're developing a fire's application for this Titan ground station in great partnership with uh, Titan. It's called SHOT, Synchronized High Up-Tempo Targeting. Uh, it's, uh, it's powered by, uh, um, well, I'll say start with, it's driven by the high payoff target list. Uh, so the commander's high payoff target list or these targets must be attacked in order to enable the scheme of maneuvers. Uh, the, uh, it's, Second part of that is the attack guidance matrix. I'm sorry. The second part of that is the target selection standards. 
if I find this target and it meets these target selection standards, it's this accurate. It's uh, the data is this old. Uh, there, there are other categories of target selection standards. If it meets the target selection standards, then I follow the attack guidance matrix. Attack guidance matrix says, what am I going to shoot at it? Uh, and that, um, that application is powered by a couple of uh, what I refer to as artificial intelligence uh, engines. Uh, these engines find the targets in the data. Uh, and, um, and those algorithms are already being trained uh, every day uh, by our partnership with, um, with Army G2 and, and other intelligence agencies. Uh, we're going to have, um, in, in the next year, uh, this 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 real capability that we'll start delivering to uh, to the field. It already works uh, through uh, through army experimentation and the sensor to shooter campaign of learning and project convergence. Um, we've uh, we've already been training these algorithms and and, uh, and working these systems. So what uh, what we have to do is have um, we can't wait until we have the platforms and the intelligence to start figuring out how we're going to target, right? So, so it's a degree of concurrency, right? Simultaneous uh, development action and trust across a big uh, modernization community to uh, to deliver these capabilities. So, back to your question about what do we what do we want the field to do? We want them to believe in the future. Uh, we want them to believe in in Army Futures Command uh, and the cross-functional teams and the capabilities we're going to develop, uh, and uh, we need them to be ready to uh, to exploit that capability when we uh, when we uh, you know when we deliver this. Uh, the uh, so, sir, we're running short on time, so I just wanted to open it up to you on any messages or thoughts that you wanted to share with the force. Yeah, I, um, I'll, I'll go, I'll finish with, uh, with, uh, with three things that, uh, that the former commander of Army Futures Command, uh, gave to us, uh, in writing. Uh, and it was, uh, and, and they're very simple, uh, but have been very, uh, very important, uh, for us in, in our approach to modernization. Uh, and the, and the first one he says is, is winning matters. But winning together matters more, uh, and that is really significant for us because uh, because as a big team, um, you know, the cross-functional team here at Fort Sill doesn't win anything by itself, right? So, so we, um, uh, if you just look at the uh, at the extended range cannon artillery system prototypes that are being developed, we've got five on the ground out at uh, White Sand. I'm sorry, out at Yuma Proving Grounds. We'll have 18 of them next year. Uh, they're in very rigorous swim swim lanes of testing, uh, but but in order to for those howitzers to uh, to get delivered, it it the um, it starts with the M109 A6 Paladin howitzer. It's uh, it's the chassis is upgraded to an M109 A7. Uh, that's done by an industry partner uh, uh, and finished right here at, at Elgin, uh, right mm -hmm. up the road from here at uh, BAE Systems, uh, and then uh, and then the cab is modified in the Army, at Anniston Army Depot, uh, finished at Letterkenny Army Depot in Pennsylvania, uh, and then and then the, uh, the gun tube is manufactured at Waterfleet Arsenal and, uh, and assembled at Picatinny Arsenal, and then just delivered to uh, Yuma Proving Grounds. Uh, and, um, and so it's a big uh, Army Futures Command, uh, Army Acquisition, uh, and, um, and Army Material Command, uh, big win to put these things in the hands of uh, force comm soldiers 
supported by the trade act activities here at Fort Sill. So there is no bigger win in the Army uh, than, uh, than what we're doing. So winning together uh, uh, matters uh, enormously for us. And so that the team building uh, that we do on a daily basis is, is probably our most important daily task. Um, the, uh, the, the second thing they told us is that uh, um, is the, it's got to be the intersection of uh, technology and concepts. And that's uh, that's pretty powerful too. And 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 beyond you know 2023 and beyond what we're delivering for the Army in 2030, uh, we've got to get uh, our, our folks who work on concepts and our technologists working together. So we've got technology-informed concepts and concepts-informed tech and technology. And so we really get into this virtuous cycle of um, of our uh, you know our, our people thinking about how we're going to fight in the future informed by what's possible from a technology standpoint. And so we don't end up uh, pursuing um, what, uh, what is a, a term used in this business called unobtainium. Uh, and uh, we, don't, we are pursuing fantasy uh, that we're pursuing in the future is, is entirely feasible from a, from a technology standpoint. And so, and so um, you know, like I said, we're, we're laser focused on what we're delivering in 23, but we're thinking about the future. And, and, and that technology-informing concepts uh, is uh, is a really important um, approach for us. And then, and then the most important thing that we do here on our team is, is soldier-centered design. And, and soldier-centered design means that uh, um, that uh, that the soldier and the warfighter's uh, input is incredibly uh, important in the development of these uh, future capabilities. So, uh, so soldier touch points is uh, is the is the term for uh, for how we get this kind of feedback, and and they serve a you know a couple of uh, important purposes. You know, one is uh, is inform the the requirements writing process. The requirements are the are the technical documents that uh, that help us um, go to our our uh, industry partners and our government partners to build something right. And so so informing those requirements is really important. Uh, but beyond that, it's it's help us with the design. So let's get a howitzer section section chief in the back of the Urca howitzer to help us configure the inside of it. Right? Is this better here or here? Does this switch work better here or there? Uh, and uh, and get real um, you know soldier feedback and that that exchange between you know soldier leader cannoneer and engineer uh, <laughs> is incredibly powerful. And every time you see it happening, you just you, you realize you, we can't do enough of these things uh, to, to get it right. So, uh, and, then, and then the last thing is, is, is how are we going to fight with these things? How are we going to develop the, 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 the crew drill? Take it up a notch. How are we going to fight as platoons? Uh, and then take it up a few more notches into our, uh, you know, high level uh, warfighter exercises is how are we going to fight and win with, uh, uh, with this capability at the, uh, at the division level? How are commanders and staffs employing it? How are, um, sustainers uh providing logistics that it needs uh and so um, and so that soldier centered design is is beyond the, the the placement of switches it's uh it's how we're going to uh you know fight with this system so um so i just want to want the uh you know the force to know that uh that you're the centerpiece of army futures commands uh, army future command futures commands approach uh to modernization uh, and then the centerpiece of the of the design and engineering uh, as well. Sir, that is awesome. 
Once again, we just want to thank you so much for coming out today and joining our conversation. Uh, and for everybody out there, we just want to say thanks to our guest, Brigadier General John Rafferty, the director of the Long Range Precision Fires Cross-Functional Team. And you've been listening to Fire Strong.